0: Welcome to Tea and Trumpets, a Regency romance review. I'm Zoe, and I'm here by myself today to introduce you all to what you are about to hear. So we are presenting our first live event, and uh, this was at Historical Romance Retreat of 2022 back in September, uh, where Kelsey got to do a fabulous panel with authors Jennifer Ashley, Amelie Howard, and Jade Lee. And so unfortunately, I wasn't able to be there, but I'm so excited to present it to you guys. And we don't have any live show recording gear. So Kelsey went ahead and just propped up her iPhone and we thought, how will this go? We'll see. And number one, the discussion is so great uh, that we really wanted to share it with you guys. And number two, It was pretty decent, the uh, audio. And now, of course, some of the authors are a little bit uh, quieter than others because we didn't have separate tracks. I wasn't able to really modify that uh, in any meaningful way. Uh, I did my best to take out as much background noise as possible. Um, But again, this is live audio. Um, Hopefully, you guys can understand that it is what it is and I did my best and enjoy it anyway. If you want to see the video, the one still shot <laughs> of the, from the propped up iPhone from the side of the room, it is really fun to see Kelsey and the authors and that's going to be available on our YouTube so if you're listening to this in your feed, you can head on over to youtube.com slash T as in Tom and as in Nancy strumpets, uh, and you can see it there. So anyhow, I hope you all really enjoy this discussion. I know I did. And we look forward to seeing you again in your feed soon. We've got some new special things to come. So stay tuned for that. All right. And without any further ado, here is the panel bringing the past into the present historical romance for the modern reader with Jennifer Ashley, Amelie Howard, and Jade Lee. I said no more further ado, but I have a little more ado, which is thank you so much to Jennifer, Amelie, and Jade for joining us for this discussion.
1: Okay, cool.
2: Start right on the dot. Hello, everybody. (coughs) I'm Kelsey, and I'm from the podcast Tea and Strumpets. Um, Unfortunately, my co-host cannot be here today. She has a two-month-old child at home with her toddler, so unfortunately, that was a bit much to try to do both mom and come lead a panel. Um, However, I'm here, and I'm very happy to be here. So today, we're going to be talking about bringing romance into the 21st century more than your typical bodice ripper. So. Um, I've invited some lovely guests today, so I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. So first we have Amelie Howard.
3: (laughs) I was like sitting in the middle because I never have to go first. Um, I'm Amelie Howard. Um, I write historical romance, uh, primarily Regency and Victorian era. I also write young adult, science fiction, fantasy, and historical romance. Um, I'm Jennifer Ashley, and I've been
4: uh, writing Historical romance, um, mostly Scottish. I have a Scottish series. I write contemporary paranormal romance. Um, I write a contemporary cowboy series. I write uh, historical mysteries. I have three historical mystery series, one set in the Regency, one set in Victorian England, which is this one that's in your program. And Isn't uh, that yeah, a great cover? And it's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful, I have nothing to do with
1: the cover, so I can say yeah. it's <laughs> so. And I also have an ancient
4: Hello, I am Jade Lee, and I do uh, Regency-era romances, and uh, I also am Kathy Lyons, who does um, uh, contemporary, contemporary paranormal and gay romance. Um, You know, shifters who need tech support who end up being surprised.
1: Um, And that sounded really odd. (laughs) And then I have
4: a new exploration into children's picture books. I don't know, because maybe I have a grandbaby. (laughs) fabulous awesome well thank you all for
2: being here so today um we're going to talk about what romance is for the modern reader and especially what modern readers are looking for in historical romance um and what authors want their readers to take away and where authors want to help bring the genre next so um one of the things that um, specifically, like everyone here was brought with an intention, um, we want to talk about diversity. A lot of diversity we've talked about, especially in the age of Bridgerton on Netflix, you know, it's biopic, it's representation, which we love, not saying no to that. Um, you know, people have been around of all, you know, people are people no matter what age of history they're in. Um, but we also want to talk about not just that representation, but also diversity as a whole. We're talking neurodiversity, sexuality, gender, identity. Um, everything kind of encompasses what we're looking for in diversity. So I want to talk with our panel. Um, so specifically to you, what is diversity in romance? And what do these stories, um, and what, no, sorry, why do these stories need to be told?
3: No. Uh, I mean, I'll start. I think that, I I like the word diversity. I prefer to use inclusivity. Um, And inclusivity is just for me a better word because it means including those groups that might've been excluded in earlier narratives or uh, books from a long time ago. Um, I think that for me as a writer, historical moments, especially I want it to reflect the world that I live in today. I also want to see myself as a BIPOC person, as an LGBTQ plus person um, in books. So I think, you know, we have two types. You have when, you know, you mentioned Bridgerton before. Bridgerton is more of a, I don't want to call it a fantasy, but it is seeing like a completely inclusive cast on all fronts on screen, you know, as it has been done by Shonda, Shondaland. And then you have, um, you know, I have an inclusive series with source books that is about actual BIPOC uh, characters, like Sophie Duleef Singh, who was a sick princess. Um, Catherine Duleef Singh was brown, a BIPOC princess, and um, a lesbian, and she lived that way until she died. And those were both in the 19th century. Um, you know, I also have another book that's written, inspired by um, Diana Elizabeth Bell, who was a biracial woman who was brought to England by her, um, white family and raised in a white home. She was a brown woman and went through a lot of, you know, racial issues in the court. Um, So uh, Sarah uh, Bonetta-Forbes is another one who was Victoria's goddaughter. So, I mean, I think there's two different groups, um, two different intentions, I guess, Mm -hmm. if you wanted to say that. And I like both. Um, So that's, I'll start by saying that. Mm -hmm.
4: Well, she sounds really smart. I do. (laughs) Well, I right. I my policy is everyone has a story. And we shouldn't say, okay, everyone has a story, but only the elite white people get to have their story told. I think everyone's story should be told. And that's one reason I wrote The Madness of Lord Ian Mackenzie is because I said
3: it's like the, like the goal of life. <laughs>
4: you know, yeah. But I, I wrote that because I said You
1: know, it didn't
4: just start in you know the 60s or the 1960s. Um, and what what did they do in the past when this was not diagnosed, nobody knew about it? You know, how would, how would they live with that, how are they treated, how would they live like this? Um, so that's one reason I wrote that is because I said, you know, why should these people not so that's kind of my, and I like the, the term inclusivity because, um, yeah, that's one reason I started writing, and because, see, she sounds smarter. than me. Um, yeah, but I like literally talk to her outside to get all the new jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another inclusivity I also like to cross is class lines because, again, it's like only the elites get to have their stories told. And that's why I wrote about the cook in Victorian England. She is the heroine, and you know a lot of people say that's not uh, that's not realistic. Servants could never be smart and solve mysteries and things like that. And I think that's just really unfair and really classist. Whatever the word term, um, you know, all these people <coughs> were smart and. Educated themselves and did things, and you know that are not in the history books because they weren't the right people. So I really like to write based on you know here's this character, and I don't have to say I'm only going to write you know in this tier or whatever. Um, so that's that's my spiel. I don't sound that smart, but that's kind of what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Set your expectations low. <laughs> so I started writing back when, you know, Dinosaurs Roamed the Earth. Uh, long before we had the internet and cross-genre stuff. Everything was how it was shelved. And I was told then, I, and I figured out pretty early, that there is real history, and then there was Regency history, the, what people read in the books. And I was, uh, I was told, um, like, 23 is on the shelf, 29 is dead. And mm-hmm. this was back when, you know, you could have a Marquis and a Viscount, and they weren't all Dukes, you know, there's, mm-hmm. the, um, but I was told this is where you, you did it by white people, you had, nobody cared, it, it was all about the reader fantasy. And so, okay, I liked money, I liked publishing, so I fell into that. Except, I don't know, the, the stories didn't come alive. And then my editor at, was at a conference, and I was telling my friend, witnessed me getting a call from my mother who was in hong kong Uh, her mother had her stepmother actually had died but as my grandmother had started losing it she started writing down her requirements for the for her funeral now this woman was in her late 80s but she wanted a traditional chinese uh, funeral which included 49 days of sobbing. So my mother, who was running a business, was in Hong Kong going, in her will, she says I'm supposed to sit by her corpse in August and cry for 49 days. <laughs> and I'm just going, what do you say to that? You know? And oh, oh, we have to, we have to bury her in, you know, we have to bury her on an auspicious day. Um, well, okay. But in August, in Hong Kong, there was one auspicious day and the funeral home was booked up. So do we pay the extra money to like kick out other auspicious people and, and you know, or do we, do we like, give her an okay day? Yeah.
1: <laughs> She's dead, but <laughs> I'm not crying for 49 days. What am I gonna
4: do? So he, he listened to me on the phone going, mom, I, Sorry, I'm not coming out there for two months to cry instead of you. <laughs> so it's like, you need to write East meets West. You need to do this, you know, and a lot of people don't know this, but especially at that time, you had about seven to ten books at most to break in with a, a name. And if you didn't break out into Nora Roberts type's money, or at least, you know, really show some, some climb there, you had to start over with a new pen name. And build that seven books again, and people would go on two, three names. That's assuming your editor liked you and he liked me. So he said, take a Chinese name, and and do this East meets West. And I was like, okay. So then the Tiger series was born. Suddenly, everyone in the industry knew who I was because I was doing Victorian set in China. I did a ton of research, and I had this um, there uh, a tantric cult and in fact in California because of course California there is a temple dedicated to this obscure tantric cult that like took my fiction books as how to's <laughs> 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 okay everyone in the industry knew me but the public didn't buy because cuz I've been fighting this hey asian and then if you look at me you might guess I am not full chinese i'm half and half so all of a sudden, I'm looking at ethnicity differently. And what part of my childhood was German, Indiana Hoosier, and what part was Chinese? I don't frickin' know. But I started really looking at stuff like that, and, and then, yay, I'm this Jay Lee Asian author, but I, I'm well known through the industry, but nobody's buying the books. So then I start doing this constant dance, and then God love Shonda all of a sudden shonda creates again it's a new regency world it, it's not it's not historically accurate but i love it and people are suddenly saying oh were there chinese people in the regency yes. Yes. but yes we'll say yes and oh you want to read a book my books are still about people and doing stuff but all of a sudden i have a freedom to talk about race that, you know, okay, what if the dude did fall in love with the Chinese woman, what now? And I get to play there. And that's, I mean, it's, it gives me more room. And I love it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all of you for watching Richard <laughs> <is>. <laughs> <laughs> Um
2: Well, this one brings up a really good point. I think you all kind of touched on a bit in the sense of a lot of internet comments, about, especially when you're starting to pull more inclusive stories and showcase them. They're like, well, this isn't historically accurate. So how do you, how do we push historical accuracy? Because let's be real, the Regency books we read are not historically accurate. Even the ones we were reading all about the dupes and the things we're not historically accurate.
4: So how do we... I, I will tell you my real quick answer. Yeah. Because it usually comes from men. A lot of this say, do you like James Bond? Do you think he's accurate? Gotta... <laughs> Shut
2: up. <laughs> um, well, I'd say that. It's, it's how do you find yourselves pushing that historical accuracy to maintain that modern values that we're looking for. Because I think all of us are looking for modern values within our books, you know, not just in the sense of mm-hmm. inclusivity, but also now we're talking about consent and how to write consent into our books. And you know, talking about that. Um so yeah.
4: Who started reading when it was a forty-five year old Viscount with a sixteen year old on Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: okay, so. um, <laughs> uh, okay.
4: I am all about historical accuracy. I, I'm very, I research meticulously and I wrote a book about pirates in the Regency and every, and I was told that was totally what was wrong with me. All of that was historically accurate. That is a very historically accurate set of books. Uh, but that was all Um And if you do historical research, there were plenty of people of color in all of these time periods. Um, And it is accurate to put them in our books because they were there. And I, I I remember reading a romance, I think it was about, it was a sports romance, it was a contemporary. And I said, this is the whitest team I've ever witnessed. You know, I was like, where are all the people of color on the sports team and they weren't there and and it's not like i just assumed everyone was right they were all described as white and i was like that that, that's not right and when i read about you know the past the victorian age and the regency and stuff and everyone is white and like i know that's not true and i know the people of color are not just the servants and the slaves Um, there were people who um, they might not have been the dukes and the queen and Things, but there were plenty of people who owned their own businesses Um, in the Regency. I think it was the Regency. There was an Indian guy who owned uh, a a string of um, like sports uh, gyms where you could, um, and he did a lot of uh, exhibition fights and things like that. And he he owned all this himself. He owned it um women uh like if uh i have a character that's based on a real person in one of my regency mysteries who's a black woman who comes from uh, antigua and she marries a merchant and he dies and she gets all his money and his business and she's running the business with the money and this happened and these people were absent from all these books i'm reading but yeah they um, they're the, the regencies you're right they're not what we're reading is kind of the uh, fantasy Regency, and I'm talking about the traditional Regency that we've been reading since the 80s, the 90s, since Georgia Hare. and so um, They're kind of a fantasy of very cleaned up, very um, sanitized kind of Regency. Um, when I first started writing Regency, one reason I wrote my Regency mystery series, the Captain Lacey Regency Mysteries by Ashley Gardner and
1: I do want to know.
4: Um, I said, you know, the Regency was a really dark time. It wasn't all ballrooms and happy people in their white dresses, and there was a lot. And even if you read Jane Austen, she puts that in there. There is darkness in her books. She doesn't dwell on it, but it's there. Um, And and I said, I want to write about the real Regency. So I said, it's gritty. It's dark. There's a lot of diverse people. There's there was a lot going more going on than people trying to get into Allmax. So that's what's my inspiration for writing that series. And I'm happy to say that's a very popular series. And regularly makes USA Today and, and a lot of people really love that series, but that was my inspiration. And I've talked to too much on I should
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think the biggest thing for me is the R word, receipts, receipts, receipts. And um, when I say that, you put it, I, as a BIPOC author, put it in an author's note in the back of my book, all of the research I've done, or most of it, that says, here's where these people have come from, here's where I found my research, uh, saying that, you know, people of color existed, LGBTQIA plus people existed, uh, people with disabilities existed, Um, I think it's really important and it's, it's, it's important. And it also feels like, I don't know if you feel this way at all Jay, but like, um, when you mentioned being biracial before, I was like, it's such a tough place to be because I always felt like I had one foot in one foot out. Who am I? I mean, that's an identity crisis I had as an adult. Um, even as a girl, I changed my name in college because I felt it was too difficult to pronounce. Omni is my middle name. Um, is my first name. It's very Indian. Um, and you know, writing that in your books and, and putting like how your characters face the world, especially if you're writing a character of color is very difficult. But at the same time, you're writing it for me specifically within the, the, the rules of the period, right? Which is yes, there are going to be, there's going to be a lot of racism, there's going to be a lot of sexism, there's going to be a lot of other things in the courts. Um, you know, Jen was just talking about like some of the other areas of the Regency, which I think is like fantastic. Cause that is where you saw more of those things in the court yeah it was super white and the um you know the people that recorded history you know there's a quote that's attributed to Robespierre that history was written by the victors and when you think about it it is true it was written by people who wanted to reflect what they saw what I'm trying to do as a BIPOC writer is saying there were other people in these time periods I'd like to center them in my stories and there's you know, we kind of all touched on it before, there's two different kinds, right? There's the one where, let's just like this book, for example, Queen Bee, is completely like Richard. It's Richard meets the counterbalance, So crystal, everybody, it includes everyone. That's a fantasy, that did not exist. But there are other books, you know, in this one, you I talked about you being the goat of like, uh, you know, writing about a, 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 a yeah. character with a uh, mental disability, which was phenomenal. I mean, not really informed, like the guy in this book is neurodivergent and I, my son is neurodivergent. So like a lot of it came through i was writing the book i didn't intend to but jennifer's book like had stuck with me for years and i was like
4: yeah it was because of her book that i wrote lord Seder, with a neurodivergent yeah i want to make sure that the the
1: (laughs) representation (laughs)
3: here take this
1: god damn it
3: I mean, representation, I think, is really important. And I always say, like, you know, I'd like to see more stories. And the more stories we see with, you know, um, including other minority groups, the better it'll be, I think, for everyone. Um, I, as a person of color from the Caribbean, will I make mistakes? Absolutely. I What my experience was growing up is gonna be very different from a person of color who grew up in the United States, who grew up in India, who grew up in the Middle East. Um, But I want more stories. I want more people to write, you know, about their own experiences, their own cultures, bring them to the page. And then, I mean, I think that's just better for everybody.
4: Well, it's the readers that are really driving this um, because, and also the internet. So people growing up, you can't expect the 12 year old who has just discovered historical romance to actually figure out what the real history is. She just wants to read a book. And so if uh, the, the major tri- traditional publishing all says, no, 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 they have to be all white, blah, 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 because no one's going to read a gay person or no one's going to read a you know, black person or an Asian person, then that's all they see and all the 12-year-old believes. Thank God for the internet. So now you know, now we can say, oh, well, this person wrote a, you know, <laughs> a neurodivergent hero. And it was amazing and people, readers loved it. And all of a sudden, traditional publishing and, and internet readers are going, "Ooh, I like that, are there more? I had quite the mental breakthrough. It happened to be before COVID hit, but it kind of merged right in, where it occurred to me that I don't have to write, I'm very lucky, my husband has a fantastic job, I do not need to write for money. So, all of that trying to go through traditional publishing and pushing my stories or whatever, now I just decided I have Dragonblade loves me, thank you. They will publish the story I want to write. So, if I start cutting off the thought of will the readers find it, will they accept a neurodivergent heroine? I just wrote it. And oh, wait, people liked it. And so now I have stopped trying to find, because Traditional publishing, it's mass market, so they are trying to hit the number one most people readership with every book. So the more you do neurodivergent, the more you do do by the you know the different ethnicities. That's narrowing up the readership. I was recruited into Harlequin as Jade Lee, and then uh, six books in, Brenda Chen called me up and said. Marketing Believes the Jade Lee Name is Tainted Ethnic. And I said, well, <laughs> it is an ethnic name. And she said, yes. So take a girl next door name, to which I translated as White as Wonder Bread. I became Kathy Lyons, and with I mean, even when the cover treatments were all blonde, didn't matter, they saw the Jade Lee Name. And you know, Harlequin does not want to publish books readership isn't going to buy, and I wasn't making money on it, so I became Kathy Lyons, and, you know, the people who read that line, it was the Blaze line, I kind of imagined that these are women with, you know, X number of kids, and they just, they don't want a book that expands them, they just want a romance, uh, you know, that they can read quickly. So, great, we went to white, I became Kathy Lyons, fine, but now if I'm not chasing Becoming Nora Roberts, who's you know, I'm not stopping it.
1: <laughs>
4: if if I stop chasing readership and trying to hit the broadest, I can just tell my stories, and all of a sudden, yay! You know, if I write it, will the readers come? <laughs> okay, sorry. It's okay, it's great.
2: I love it. Um,
1: <laughs> kept I just Kevin would also. <laughs> I was so no joking, say that. It's like,
4: yeah, I mean,
3: my husband has a good job too, so I'm like, Ew. Well, and
4: you know, we're
3: what? all not 400 bucks. i just super really
1: She's gonna bad. leave here
4: being padded so much.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> she also works really, really freaking hard, and I work hard, but not really, really freaking hard, so.
2: Sorry. (laughs) Um, Well, I guess, you know, And talking about, uh, you know, the richness and expanding what you can write and not worrying so much about the readers, I think that in, you know, writing it, in fact, now we're seeing that people are asking for more of that, like you said, like they're looking for it, you know, when I read a book that's just the typical, you know, you know, white on white, duke meets girl, duke meets lady. I'm like, okay, but I've read this one before. What makes this one different? You know, I'm, um, and so in one of those things too, um, unfortunately Kerrigan Fern couldn't be with us today, but you know, one of the things that she does really well. And also, um, I love of one of my favorite books of yours, Jennifer, is the seduction of Elliot McBride and his, um, you know, journey through PTSD and how we can take trauma that people experience in real life on a regular basis and how we can weave them into our stories to build a more richer character. Would you say that that's been, like, you know, and it's not, again, it comes back to that consent where it used to be the trauma was perpetrated by the hero, you know, almost at the beginning in those old school bodice rippers versus now we're seeing the hero is helping us Helping the heroine, or vice versa, overcome the trauma, or at least make peace with the trauma. And I think it's the make peace with it that I personally find the most interesting. But would you say that's allowing, like, again, do
4: you feel like those stories make it richer? I think the markets mm-hmm. move beyond that. So, yeah. Mary Jo Putney uh, talked very much more intelligently than I'm about to about the rape culture and the, mm-hmm. you know, in the sixties, when women were were very uncomfortable with their sexuality, um, all those bodice rippers became popular because it was, you know, a woman being forced to enjoy her sexuality. Well, when finally women's lib took hold, all of those, the rape, the, the worst of the weight rape culture, which is really, which con how many continents can your heroin get raped on and enjoy it? <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that thankfully just went away so that rape culture started fading well now and but we still had heroes who were you know the the asshole not uh, it's not the alpha male
1: the alcohol. asshole alpha hole <laughs> thank you so i mean that's
4: that was still very strong and paranormal so then you get the heroines with the, with the heroes who are helping them past trauma yay i i have finally i've done a couple books now um, uh, my Lion's Den book, the latest one, Lionhearted. The heroine was, because they wanted Chinese, so okay, and I was very happy to do this. She had a very miserable experience being brought over to England. Um, it was very unhappy, but I didn't want to make the book about rape and what, mm-hmm. I didn't want to make the book about that, and I just gave her time to to process and deal with all of that, so the hero happened to be gentle and understanding, but I didn't dwell on the trauma and it was, so now we've kind of gone to he, the hero acknowledges the trauma and is there to help. But, you know, first of all, doesn't increase the trauma. And second of all is, you know, I don't have to live in that trauma place. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, now again, God bless the internet. I think, we, you know, if you are in a place where you need to read a book, recovering from trauma, they exist. If you want a book where, okay, maybe she's got an ugly backstory, but we're not dwelling on that. You've got it. And yes, you can find alpha holes and the rape culture if you look in the right places. I'm sure. Um, I was gonna say something intelligent. Okay. <laughs> um, I put my heroes through hell, so that's my thing. But <laughs> um, I've. My books, ever since I started writing historical, my books were always about consent. I've, I've never been comfortable with, and the unfortunate thing about the bodice rivers from the past, and I totally agree with what you said, that Mary joke and they said, um, that it was a fantasy for people who were not comfortable with their sexuality. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is that has stuck. So when you, say, tell someone you read a romance and they don't know about romance, they immediately think you're reading a great bodice ripper. and why would you read that junk? So that unfortunately we have that stigma that hopefully we can overcome. But um, everyone here knows what romance is really are about. Um, and I have to say that when I wrote Ian McKenzie I was not thinking, ooh, I'm gonna write a neurodivergent hero and make it popular i'm gonna do this it was just a character i just he was just in my head he does did things and i said i've got to write this guy down his whole family was in my head so i said i just gotta write these books and i had no idea that anyone would like them at all i didn't think anyone would like this book but me i was like i like ian he's not the alcohol he's not the big you know arrogant brother was but um he's not the big arrogant hero from you know that i was supposed to be writing and i said no one is going to like this book so i was flabbergasted when that book came out and people liked it and people really liked it and i was just sitting i just remember sitting at my computer watching a site that had reviewed it and all the comments and i was just going where did this come from i had no idea I was just my drama like on my chest So, I don't know what my point is here. (laughs) um, I don't know what my point is. I'm sorry, but so I'll stop. But anyway, (laughs) you just write people. I just write people. Yeah. Which I think all three of us are going to say. Yeah. Well, and oh. No, it's okay. But I think,
2: you know, what you're saying is like you wrote a character you liked yes. yeah. that you didn't expect everyone else to yeah. like. And it turns yeah. out everybody loved them. Yeah. And, but I, mean, I think it's it was, just yeah. to the point. As you were writing a person yeah. and people identified with a person with real problems, yeah. like you know, yeah. real things yeah. they had to do, real just parts of them that couldn't necessarily be explained, but they learned how to live a life and live a full life with right. it. And I think
4: that's, I mean,
2: that's all we want to see yeah. from
4: yeah, in romance novels, is characters living their full lives. Right. And I also say everyone deserves a happily ever after. I know in real life not everyone gets it. I mean, I do that. I mean, we all know that. But that's another thing I want I wanted to show Ian finding someone that matched him and uh, he got his happily ever after. But I was also frustrated with books that they would get the happily ever after and that would miraculously cure them. Um, yeah. They would suddenly be a normal person. And you know, what is a normal person? I don't think. Mm-hmm. It I Probably none of us consider ourselves normal. And if you do, you probably don't belong this contract. We'll
1: convert you. <laughs>
3: I think the beauty of romance is the safe space that it represents for you to find anything you want to read within its parameters, Um, you know, if you want to read about the alcohols, if you want to read about something that is traumatic, and you know, I mean, authors have started, and publishers especially have started putting content in TW warnings in front of their books, which I think is, you know, I mean, it's important um, if people need a warning on what they're going to encounter in the book in terms of the story, um, especially if you like I've been a victim of sexual assault, I mean, stuff like that. I'm different because it doesn't really bother me if I read it, like I've read a lot of those books with the Scenes and it. it's not been like traumatic, but for other people it might be. So I think, you know, TWs and CWs are, if they're informing you of what's in a book, contents book, it's good. Um, but what I think, you know, what I loved about Ian McKenzie is, um, you know, he was so complex. Like I know that you didn't even set out to write an ND character. I didn't as well, it changed in the middle when I was like basically making him into What my son, my son is 16, and I was going through a lot of therapy for him. Um, He is clinically depressed, anxiety, neurodivergent, like he has a slow processing speed, genius level smart, and he's the most (laughs) difficult, infuriating person on the planet. But his capacity for caring when he's not being a complete dick. It's awesome. <laughs> so I was like, you know, this guy—he'll be like a wonderful partner to somebody someday far away when I can't see it. <laughs> it was—it was really informing this character in the same way. Like, you can't fix a person, and I also like reading—you know, book. i just like reading about books where you know you—you you have a character that's in Iraq and it's fixed by someone because that's not going to happen. You have to fix yourself. Um, but the fact that they, you know, at the end of the story, live with their challenges, live, learn to, you know, their love for
1: who they are,
3: like the whole package. We're all flawed. And seeing ourselves reflected in books with all those flaws, I think, is what makes the reading experience richer.
2: It's interesting that we're, we're talking about that, too, because just now I was thinking about it and I'm thinking about a lot of books where you have characters were like, you know, they're not magically healed by the end of the book. Like I think all of those and like a lot of those even in the past when those weren't typical like they weren't in the mainstream, all of them became really, you know, huge like successes. I'm trying to think uh was it is it Lord of Scoundrels where he's yeah. like I mute and he's having literally to relearn how to talk. You know, so like... Cool. There's a Laurel. Yeah. Yeah. No, was Flowers Storm. Storm. Oh, that was right. That was yeah. Flowers from the yeah. Storm. That was a different one. Yeah. Right. Sorry. No. Too it's many it's books it's in my brain. Yeah. Flowers from the Storm. Thank you. I never asked me okay. a book. I never remembered off the top of
4: my head. Um,
2: uh, but yeah, so Flowers from the Storm, you know, that was really good because he, he suffered, you know, major head trauma, couldn't speak, and like, slowly...
4: Well, and she too, was a like, Quaker, too. Yeah, I had, I mean, and that was a religious I had was my a religious all my yeah. life, and then all of a sudden, it's like, we
2: have a Quaker heroine? Yeah, <laughs> but they were there. They were there. And, you know, and I think that that's, you know, and I think Flowers from the Storm, when I've spoken with a lot of authors, that book gets brought up a lot, and it's so interesting because it's not, you know, the books, I think, that we recognize are like Ian Mackenzie. you know, it's characters that we're able to identify with, and it's... So now I think now we can look at those books, and they've always been there. But now we're seeing that readers need like, "No, oh, I want more of these.
4: And I think that's allowing for this trend to go forward. I don't think people realize how far the industry has come in a very short time. I was at an RWA conference where the big scandal, and yes, I'm old, but it's the big, big scandal was a Harlequin book. Where the hero is in the shower thinking of the heroine, and he jerks one off.
1: that's <laughs> <laughs> <Men> masturbate.
4: <laughs> Heroes masturbate. I mean, this was huge, and um, I'm also reminded um, there are still societies and cultures throughout the world. The rape culture is still very strong in, you know, mainland China. That. Their, a lot of their entertainment still has that rape alcohol culture. Well, and, you know, our books maybe push a little bit. So no matter where you are in on the spectrum, there's going to be a trope or a feeling or a story that you just really gravitate towards at that moment. And reading these books, when I was younger, I mean, because I was raised Asian and some of that, you know, rape culture that, getting raped as part of the price of being female was part of that and to see oh wait she was raped and she got beyond that or maybe heroes don't treat people that way just you start out reading one type of book and it stretches and you go oh that's possible and then you know once you get comfortable there and do the processing you go to the next and you just i to have books at every level of Cultural and human development, so you know, whatever, however you PC you want to go. I want to have books there so that someone who needs it can find it and get stretched just that little bit. Um, I have, I would say two things. One is that, speaking to speak how far the industry has come, like in the last 20, 30 years, and I've seen it, um, I remember when I first started writing, when I was writing Regency, I wanted to write mm-hmm. a woman of size not oh god tiny. <laughs> you know i was real this real thing she has thin. little tiny hands okay i've got giant man hands here but you know she said really tiny, tiny and the guy was always going she's so tiny she's so little she's so thin and i'm like okay i am you know i am a large woman and actually i used to be larger than this and uh, i was like where are they you know every woman wasn't skinny so i wanted to write a baby. Size heroin, and I was shut down like that. It was like, oh no, you—they've got to be thin and petite and everything. And even when I started writing a contemporary, I was going to say the woman was size sixteen, which to be skinny, um, because you know I'm way bigger than size sixteen. And my agent said, oh no, she's worn a size eight. We can't do it. And I was like, seriously? But thank God, people have started writing. Heroines of you know, real shapes and sizes. So that has changed. I mean, because it was, I could not write anybody bigger than a size eight. Or but it's different. funny if you look at all the art from the period,
3: all the women are full figured. Oh right? yeah,
4: they really are, and it's it's very strange. So, and the second thing I want to say is, I was at a RWA conference mm-hmm. uh, probably five years ago. I think the last. I think it was here. Um, but anyway I was at a, at a meeting of some kind and I looked at the woman beside me and she was just this nice woman and I looked at her name tag and I said you're Laura Kinzale <laughs> oh my god and <laughs> they had a big fan girl meltdown in the middle of the meeting and someone was speaking and we were supposed to be quiet and attentive.
1: attending <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, sorry, <laughs> I got wrapped up in the story. I lost my own train of thought. Um, but no, I think that's it. And I think um, to your uh, to the point about um, you know exploring the sexuality and like being the scandal of having a male jack off. You know, I, and, and that was of course before Laura's Cave hit
4: the scene. Yeah, Boy, that
2: yeah, was that was
1: yeah. huge. Yeah, yeah.
2: But I think it's it's very interesting to see that because I will say in the books that I've been reading a lot. Uh, have been um it's interesting to see how female masturbation has come on the rise Mm -hmm. as in the book Mm -hmm. which I think is totally normal and totally great but it's you know it's one of those things where it's like you didn't see it and now I'm starting to see it more and more and in fact I remember very don't don't ask me what book it was I can't tell you um I remember reading very distinctly in the book and the guy asking he's like well have you ever touched yourself like and they're like, what? No, I couldn't do that. know
1: Right. You know, like it's
2: just it's um just really interesting as far as um instead of having sexuality forced upon the heroine, it's now almost a like guiding almost and the approval. And I will say, even just from my own American, you know, middle class background, you know sexuality was like still very repressed, you know, it wasn't something to talk about. And in fact, like, and then like I had issues and then having to have that conversation with my husband to be like, look, it's not you, it's actually me, but there's a physical barrier here, you know, that we need to explore and we need to figure out a way around it. You know, that for me, was difficult. And I was like, why is this so hard? I read romance novels all day long, but actually talking about my own personal sexualities issues you know that's so difficult so reading it in the books now and having that be so much more mainstay is actually great you know it's like almost
3: freeing it almost gives me ideas of how to approach a conversation. I think a lot of um, romance writers you know in, in all all of the you know subgenres, genres um, are writing about female agency and motivation and being able to ask for what you want in a book and for readers you know like you, like me, you know, you look and you're like, oh, I can ask for that, or oh, I can do that, or oh, I do see myself in this, or oh, I shouldn't be afraid to say, this is what I want. This is also what I don't want. Goodbye, sir,
1: toxic relationship, do I don't need you.
3: But you know what I mean? I feel like there's a lot more of that, and also that's a shift in, you know, like you we were talking about before, it's a big shift from where we were to where we're going. I mean, we're the, the authors, you know, are writing more of, like, what serves, well, Women well, and, and, and mutually beneficial relationships so, you know. When I, whatever
4: that is. When I started out, of course, you know, all the covers were with the big busty women or the, the dress falling off. And um I remember going, Why? I mean, I don't need to see a half-naked woman. I do. And, <laughs> uh, uh, and I mean, equal opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, but I've also been married for <laughs> I don't know. I like everybody. <laughs> the, the author sold to an editor who published the book, but the the publisher sold it to a distributor, and the distributor sold it to the bookstore, and all the distributors were men, and so they would not. Women knew what a romance was, and they would find it no matter what was on the cover. But but the the distributors would not pick up the book unless it appealed to them with half naked woman on the cover. So, what, I mean, I, there's a lot that I think is wrong with the internet. <laughs> you can find pockets that I think are very, very unhealthy, but thanks to the ability to self-publish and to small presses like Laura's Cave, all of a sudden we can, we can explore all sorts of different things.
3: Well, you're seeing a lot of the stuff where like traditional publishing was very narrow, where they would say, this is what you need to write, like Jennifer you know, was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't write that, we're not gonna publish you small presses any publishing you're seeing all of that and the bigger publishers are now saying oh where is all those sales coming from because guess what readers are buying those books and they're trying to that's what happened with the
4: Laura's Cave Laura's Cave suddenly started bringing in tons of money and all and and editors were going do you know about this ironic
1: thing? I
4: I have a book it's it's, it's basically the training of a courtesan Uh, it's called Devil's Bargain and I wrote it and I sent it to my edit, uh, my agent and she said, look, it's a really good book, but there's no market. It's not, it's not my word now. It's not skanky enough to be what was erotica of the time. And it's, it's not genre romance. There's nowhere for it to go. So we sat on it for five years. That was all it took, I mean, and actually it took less. And by the time the book came out, it wasn't even a five flame read, it was a four. But still, one of my bestsellers. It is about the training of a courtesan, but they don't actually make love until the last twenty pages of the book. And it's just all about the rise of sexuality. Yeah, yeah. It was a good book. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Listen, I have a guy playing a woman like a cello in this book, and somebody gave it two chilies. I was like, that's more than two chilies. (laughs) Yes.
4: What is what was considered really steamy. 15 years ago is now considered fairly really vanilla. Mm-hmm. And that's something interesting. Because I write on the hot side. And I used to be like, oh, your books are bam. And now they're like, well, oh, they're kind of steamy. You know? <laughs> 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 oh, <okay. laughs> yeah, so. Well, okay. There no cello. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
3: a stradivari. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so. Taking it into the future, I guess, you know, like we've seen the trends and we're really happy where things are now, but obviously if you want to continue it, how do we, as readers, how do, you know, how do we support authors who are writing those inclusive stories, those different stories that we want to hear? How do we encourage the changing of the publishing industry?
4: in order to allow those stories to be public. That's from dollars. Yeah, the the joy and the sadness of it is the reader is always right. I mean, they vote with their dollars. And so when Harlequin says, Jade Lee is tainted ethnic, they knew their audience. I I mean, they knew their audience. And so it's, do you want to, to sell through the traditional route? Then you've got to stay with their rules and play to their audience. Do you want to go to indie? That's a hard road to hoe and you got to do all the marketing and everything yourself, because at this point you got to make noise, a lot of noise in order for anyone to notice. But if you like the, you know, the audience is always right. So if you want to see more transgender books or more gay books or more, uh, you know, Asian Car- Caribbean, whatever, if you want to see more of it, I read them, say, oh, this is a good
3: book. And I feel that's definitely, sh- definitely shifting, because you look at it, mean, you, you just said that before about the ethnic um, thing, and I remember I submitted a book out for on for editors in 2012, and um, it was about Eastern mythology and a big, one of the big six at the time said it was too exotic, and that's from 2012, and we look at 2022 and everybody's like, give, give it to me, we want like more, so that's like Readers, as you just said, buying the books, demanding the books, asking for the, the books. Trolls, if you
1: can. Yeah. You can. Yeah.
3: Uh,
4: the- Sorry. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say, I think one of the best things that's happened to the industry is indie publishing, self-publishing. I I am so so happy that came along because the the publishing industry even though it has changed and it has grown and has learned lessons they usually take, you know, five to 10 years longer than the rest of us. Um, and they still are publishing a very narrow niche. And when I know people who are trying to break in to New York publishing, I say they have this window. If you are outside that window, no matter how beautiful and wonderful your book is, they will not buy it because they want this. And they're going by the booksellers who are saying, this is going out of our stores, flying out of our stores. This stuff is not. Don't give us any more of that. Okay. So indie publishing has let authors explore things um, in a way that we have not been able to before, because if you want to write something that only 10 people is going to buy, that's going to be out there for people to discover. Um, I've met authors who started indie who've never been published who are doing phenomenally well. I mean, just, I admire these women because they write from the heart. They write, uh, I can't think of any examples right now at all. I okay, guess, so the uh, authors, Lucy yeah. Score is a big BC one. Lucy Score, yes. she's Enormous right now. Yeah. Uh, Mary Farmer, Sp- Ivy Stark, Stark, Ruby Clark. Dixon. Uh, yeah, Ivy Smoke. Uh, couple other but
3: that's Ice Planet. <laughs> Ice Planet hit it on TikTok. Oh, yeah. buddy put me on tiktok
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> wasn't there a panel about that it yeah. was but anyways I think indie has let people who could their voices would never be heard and it's really helped change um, what people want to read it's let people of color have a voice and publish things that you know it used to be I would go to a, a Barnes and Noble and there would be a, for, for authors of color, there would be like this rack in the back by the bathroom. And it wasn't even facing the bathroom, so people coming out of the bathroom would see it. You know, and, and you got kind of pushed into this little shelf over here, if you were published at all. And now, you know, you're just out there. And I think it's just fabulous. And and I also love it because I've done very
1: well in so. mm-hmm.
4: I.
3: And even with traditional publishing, you have like, you know, people don't realize, you know, they're like, oh, you're so, I've had somebody tell me, you're so lucky to be a penitent writer. Hang on. If you're in traditional publishing and they've already bought a book by a, say, black author and they're like, well, sorry, we have this book about this and that's our quota for that. I mean, it's a real thing. Any publishing isn't a lot, you can do anything you want. And, you know, like Jennifer said, there's some excellent, excellent
4: books out there. I, I do have one negative. I, I think there's been a little bit of an overreaction, so as a half Chinese woman, I'm only allowed to write Chinese. I'm not allowed to write Native American no matter how much research I do. They're just, and it's, I say not allowed. Traditional publishing won't take, if I wrote something Native American and maybe I have a a ton of experience and I are a PhD or whatever, I don't, but, let's say i did and i wrote it and i took it to new york they're like well you're not native american unless you can be native american we can't publish this book okay no problem i'll do it indie but even then i'd be afraid to do that the i have seen twitter mobs decimate someone's career for no reason and for wrong information and it's just there's oh, a lot you know, of questions about are
3: you the right person to tell this story and then you have to come back and say well here's Here's my entire identity, and that is very unfair to ask of a person to say, yeah. "Open up your entire who you are and, and show it to us." And there's still
4: going to be someone who attacks you. Mm-hmm. This is the learned early. Hey, don't read the reviews. Don't, okay. don't, don't respond. It's the don't respond because yeah, the the mob in, in general. Gross history. Gross exaggeration alert. The mob always overreacts, and so you know, Twitter PC mobs are real. Um, since we have a little time left, are there any questions? Does anybody have any questions they want to ask? Just one uh, one simple question, or maybe not a simple question. How, either as a published author whose book is not being pushed by the publisher, or as an independent author, do you get your name out in front of people? Does that include things like uh, reviews? Decent reviewers, and not just because I've seen reviews from people who should not have been reading that book to begin like, with, because they obviously don't like that kind of story. How do you do that? How do you get through that? Um, when you guys find out, tell me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think for traditional publishing, trade reviews are a big thing, especially yeah. when you get into libraries, schools, um, and stuff. Um, as far as like putting yourself out there, if your publisher is not giving you the publicity dollars or they decided to put it because that has happened they'll pay in advance to somebody and then Somebody else will come in with a book deal that has a movie attached to it and all the publicity goes there And your book will just tank and all you can do is, you know, go do conferences and school visits and you know, if you write YA or um, you know, get online and try to learn how to do Tiktok, how to, how to you know, I, I really dislike social media so I tried to do only promo on it just because it was very hard to separate um, who I was, and care for my mental health with social media. But, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of onus on writers to be
4: out on uh, social media to promote ourselves, and it is
3: hard. It is very,
4: very hard. Yeah, it is hard. I've, I've learned how to be, you know, what people see on social media and what my life is are two different things, you know. I mean, it's not, I'm not, like, making up a persona. Um, I've learned how to distance, keep a little distance there, but yeah, mm-hmm. authors, we have to tell people that we have a book out in any in any way we possibly can. And I, I was amused one day. I had a, I did a an ad, a Facebook ad for my Gladiator Mystery, and uh, it, the the whole ad is picture of the book cover, and it says a free gladiator solves mysteries in ancient Rome. That was it. And then here's a link where you can go to I got this comment that said, here's it was a little meme and it was a picture of, you know, the galaxy or something like that. It said, When notes to author, when you find when you we finally reach the center of the universe, you're gonna find that it's not you. And I was like, wow. Oh, What? Okay. <laughs> wow. So it was this is very puzzle. I like, what should I not tell people? You should have I just said that? lies. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: thought
4: that was really bizarre. I was like, it's a cover of the book with a little tagline. And here's the thing I said nothing about me, nothing about anything. It's, very, it's more yeah. about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. That. I, I, was just, just I wasn't upset. upset. I was just like, why does someone think that? That's very really strange. Like I shouldn't tell people, I should have a book out and go, Nobody should know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is,
3: in indie publishing, because I've done uh, Sky Warren's um, Romance Off and which is like a really big craft course, and she's phenomenal. I've taken her ads courses. If you're in indie publishing, ads is the way to reach an audience. And I have listened to like Ivy Smoke and people who are much better at it than me. This is a business for them. So they run stuff, you know, I mean, you, it's, it's aggregate, right? So you start small. If you do like $50 a day on ads, and you can grow really big, but if your ROI, return on investment is four times, it's a no brainer to do. And then you reach a bigger, and then the algorithms for Facebook and and Amazon kick in, and then that just starts to build and build and build. That's how they make their money. I mean, it's it's incredible.
4: So when I started back in the dinosaur age, um, I was told, (laughs) look, look, yeah, but shoe You've done better. <laughs> okay, so I'm an extrovert. I love coming out to conferences. Say, in the 200 people that are here, I impress the hell out of you, and you all run out and buy my book. Yay! That's 200 people. Where I could be sitting at home writing my next book, and would would that time be better spent on my next book? Maybe. Or do I want to like? I mean, you can't just learn Amazon ads and have money fall well, with some. People but I cannot uh, have money fall at your feet. There's, you know, there's Facebook ads, there's Amazon ads, there, there's uh, Instagram and TikTok. You just pick what works and pray that someone reads my book and likes it and tells their best friend because word of mouth is still the best way. And so, it, it depends on if you want to make a billion dollars and you really need to to invest the time and energy and to yeah. learn a at least one market penetration and or you could be me just, you know, saying i really good, I mean a
3: lot of this could be loved too. I mean look at Chandlin. She went in the airport and picked up that book and that's how Bridgeton happened. You can also
2: approach your friendly podcast hosts. Um,
4: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: was I he a plant
1: when we No, but
2: I mean it's the same thing here. You know, like as uh, we review, we are solely a review podcast. We love to have discussions with authors. We've done um, some debut. we we were lucky to talk with Evie Dunmore when she first debuted her book and it was just like, you know, we got some buzz and from us, our point of view, we just reached out to her. A lot of our interviews that we've had is us just emailing people and being like, you want to be on our show? (laughs) And, um, and so, you know, and especially for a new author that's debuting or they could have a book, like typically we'll want to, you know, we read the book first. Our policy is like, if we can't like say anything nice about it, then we won't want then we wouldn't want to promote it. Only because like you worked hard on it. And just because it's not our cup of tea, like you said, someone who read it that really that's not their thing, like, that's okay. I'm not a big fan like we've turned some people have asked if we wanted to review their book and it's just like it's a misunderstandings trope and I'm sure it's great, but I hate misunderstanding tropes. Like I hate them with a passion. So I avoid them at all costs. <laughs> um, you know, so that's, you know, and it's just like, you know, that's just not our trope. And we wouldn't want to promote negativity with it. Like, we want to promote positivity with this. We need know. to convert her. Give her your Rex. Do it. You can. I'm all for getting a recommendation.
3: Um, super. I don't know when this thing ends. It's like, and we have like half an hour? I think. It comes oh, to right, like 12, 18. Was it 2013?
2: 2013? Yeah. Cool. Anybody got more questions? Uh-huh. We'll go with you on the aisle right there, and then we'll come to you. <laughs>
4: funny story. I'm
1: face blind.
4: So off. Right. thank God I'm not alone. <laughs> so if I mean, I, I, I see your nose, I see your eyes and your mouth, but it does not stick. And in fact, if you put up, so I see general body features and how they move. Um, and so if
1: you put up
4: six images of a middle aged, uh, Asian woman and one of them was my mother, I would not be able to identify her. Um, so this is so in my books. It's always about oh the feeling whoever gets from a person because you know. And I have a little chart. I think I think I did blonde. Uh, did you know? Was it green eyes on the wheel this time? You know, I I put in as little physical description as possible because I don't remember it when I meet people. I remember I do a lot of voice stuff because that's how I recognize people, and so you know. The feel was, and I'm just doing simple stuff, energetic or sad or happy, or it made me feel, you know, a little silly or whatever. That's how I know people in my real life, and that's always been my books. And so there have been people who have gone, oh, I forgot it was Chinese. Is like, good or bad? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't do that because every character I see is really specific. So I do describe them in in all of my books. But um, so you always know what their skin color is and what their hair color is. Because I I just see that person and I just have to describe them. But I remember watching uh, Shonda Rhimes, what she said one time is that when she's writing a character, she does not describe them. She does not describe their hair color. whatever. Well, she is writing for for television television and actors for actors so that way anyone can audition for that role and the best person for that role will get it and that's why in grey's anatomy one of the characters was black when she had originally thought of them as a blonde short blonde woman and she turned out to be a tall black woman and but that person was that character that actor really brought it out so i think that's a you know that's probably a a good technique that one i cannot do but
3: I think if you're writing for um, a BIPOC audience um, who has not seen themselves on the page, it's important to put them on the page. Um, and, you know, I mean, if I'm writing like this book, say that it has a completely inclusive cast of all different colors, um, I remember my editor saying, if you're going to describe a person with brown skin, you have to describe a person with white skin as well. So you can't do anyone less than the other. Um, I think it's important to, like, for me, as a writer, I want to see the characters that I'm writing about, especially if they're a different race. Um, it doesn't always have to be the biggest thing in the book. It might not be part of the plot. It's not an issue book. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about something that a character's going through, it just might be, that's their skin color, and that's part of the world we live in, and that's how they appear in the book, and that's it. I won't talk about it 50 billion times throughout the book unless it impacts the plot and moves it along. If I say, this person, has light brown skin, brown eyes, curly dark hair. I might mention it maybe one more time in the book so you're know you know who I'm referring to. Question in the back. I don't
1: have a question. Just Thomas, I want you to know I love all three of you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're on my list of favorite authors too, and I just haven't
2: gotten to you yet, so I will talk to you. <laughs> but Jane, it's interesting. I can't even remember how I
4: discovered your books. It never occurred to me, oh, a Chinese. It's just, it doesn't matter, they were beautiful These books. Lee. Really love the characters, love love Steve, mm-hmm. and so on. And when I um, talked with you the other day, Jennifer, I, I'm trying to remember, because it's been so long like, since I read your book, but the Mackenzie series, I mean, like a million years ago. And and love, you know, is character. And again, like you guys said, that you don't just like, oh, boom, I fell in love, I'm all cured, everything's wonderful, but just how that evolved and where he didn't even, like, really recognize love at the any part of this bread is It's it's beautiful, and you um, also had some amazing steam. And I only found like two of your books so far, so I'm thrilled <laughs> that there are more now. It's it's
3: it's
2: awesome.
1: It's the <laughs> 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 Thank you.
3: Thank you. Well, that was him kind of long... That was what?
1: Keep going. Comment. We all appreciate.
3: Those are always allowed. So
2: it has just been so amazing. This is my first time. Here, I keep wanting to say HR <laughs> version, but apparently I'm a, a debutante. later, <laughs> <Yeah>. that's <laughs> probably true. I didn't imagine being
4: a debutante either, but it's just been so beyond my expectations. I this whole thing is to like actually get to meet you all, and everyone's just like a real person. There is no
1: sweetness. <laughs> yes. it's, it's a lie. Oh, it's oh, a lie. Thank you, you. a <laughs>
3: I'm writing a, an amazing. I haven't written it yet, but I got invited. Karen Burton, who was with me, who was an incredible person, and writer, and a great friend of mine. She is doing a Pride anthology next year, and she invited me to be part of it. So I'm going to write an FF story, and I'm really excited. I love
1: her. Yeah,
3: She's
1: I'm amazing. Be, I'm going to be in the same yeah. anthology.
3: Yeah. Me too. That both of us. Are. Oh, yeah. I, know I are. I'll be reading next year. It's called Pride, Not Prejudice, and it's yeah. next. It's coming out, well, it'd be
4: Pride Month, so it's coming out in yeah. June, mm-hmm. yeah. and- he's pre-orders go
3: I'm not sure <laughs> yet, but do um, well, a
4: also podcast to, episode.
1: I'm also, gonna,
4: I'm also gonna do an Um There's actually, in this series, the Cat Holloway mystery series, there's two characters who, who are two gay women, and I'm just gonna do a little, I was like, I love those two, I'm gonna just write a little story about that, and it's probably gonna be short because I I have the reputation for if I think of something I want to write about I just do it, so you know and everybody hates me but because I do it. But um, (laughs) and I'm trying to think if there's something there's stuff I really want to do. I want to write a a contemporary uh, mystery series that with a male hero. I like writing male point of view, uh, first person point of view male because I've done I'm not writing my gladiator like that. I just really Enjoy that. I don't know why, but I'm gonna go with it. So I haven't thought of anything that I've said. Absolutely, I won't do it because I shouldn't.
1: You know, I'm
4: I'm just.
3: I won't do RH because I'm a super jealous person. It will never come across. I'll be like, no, no, no. I like you and you
1: alone.
4: (laughs) I so at a certain point in our lives, you hit middle age and menopause and all of that, and and my father has Alzheimer's, so. Dealing with all sorts of you know dementia issues, and a friend of mine, um, she's fine now, but when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, she just started. Okay, you start thinking about how much time do I have left. So this has been very prevalent on my mind lately, and not just physical body, but men, you know Alzheimer's is hereditary, so maybe I have Alzheimer's at this point. Um, but okay, let's say I have only so much time left to write. If, if I could only write one book, what would it be? And that gets me thinking. I have random ideas that show up, but if I have a finite amount of time, if there is one idea that I am burning to write, why aren't I writing that right now? I'm not supporting my family, thank God. You know, yay being a kept woman. So what is that one story that is burning in my gut that I've got to write something that is expansive and maybe cinematic, or I don't know. So I'm, you know, it's like, I've almost gotten frozen lately because I, if I only have so much time, what do I want? What, what is the thing that needs to come that only I can write? And I don't know yet. I have some ideas and they're just starting to percolate, but I just recently, got into that space and time of going, okay, I was just invited to do, you know, gay romance in the Regency, and yes, I have an idea, I have a couple ideas, but is that burning in me? Is that a story only I can write? Hint, I'm not gay. Should, Should I even write it? And I have done gay romance, and so I kind—I understand it, but what is burning in me to say, I don't know, But. Next year, maybe I'll have an answer.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. All right, There you go. Okay. Um, I was just wondering if you guys had any recommendations. Um,
4: I have yet to come across a book that represents me. I have bipolar disorder, and I feel like every time I see a bipolar character, at least a hinted one, oh. it's always a really negative. You know, they autistic just, has really come into to the literature. I ha- I agree. I haven't seen much bipolar. Yeah, they no. always like they. Suicide, they made a mess of their lives, they ruined their kids. I just didn't know if you no, seen seen a hero I know I know I have seen one and I do too. I'm like God, I'm that book? I know I have seen them out there. Okay. One or but you're right, there's not a lot. There's one or two. I've read but, one, but I can't remember
3: it right now. And it's in me and it's well written. written. <laughs> <laughs> I know
4: Bruce Calloway <laughs> has a five hero, but I have I know they're out there, so keep looking. Yeah. I know they are I'll see if I can remember what kind of, uh, uh, the name is. I can uh question on Yeah, since you specifically mentioned the sixties and the sexuality <laughs> at the time, yeah. do you think that the current environment is driving how you're able to change your writing? Shonda has helped me enormously. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um I'm kind of seeing see where people are starting to object to the too much erotic, uh, like, clean and wholesome, clean apparently and wholesome. is apparently this huge, yeah, I'm seeing that a lot. So, I'm thinking, well, I also think that what happens is like erotic romance got big and it kind of drove out the readers who didn't want to read that. So, I think we're seeing a, a surge of people who are saying, Hey, hey, we want to read what we want to read. So, um that's the for a long time clean and wholesome was only in the Christian yeah and, and now there's clean and wholesome in, and and it's mostly indie yeah and I because I, I did a Regency series where I said you know what I'm just gonna do a, a clean and wholesome True. Regency. Tradition. tradition that's what I grew up on it was yeah. all above the neck and I, <laughs> and I did that I mean you you knew these people were going to have sex you know once the book closed but it was just kind of I really enjoyed it and I'm not saying I, I'm going to do another Regency series but I decided now that'll be hot so. Did that answer well, your question or did I not? It I, was, I just
1: wondered if it was more
4: readers that are driving it versus environment. environment. What, what's coming Two to me well so um, the Almost to Scott that? is the third book in the, the Scott series. Um, I was writing that when uh, the Roe v. Wade uh, was struck down And um, I, I mean, I'm writing Scottish Regency, you know, it's not like Roe v. Wade is a topic in the Scottish Regency, but I ended up writing this real female empowerment, our heroine. I mean, I just, it was like, women, let's stand up. And I put it, and so that all poured into my book and my editor said, I don't know what you were drinking, but I love it. So it's coming in that way if you're talking like the political environment and yeah because i'm dealing with alzheimer's there's going to be a hero or a heroine who's dealing with elder care with you know a, a, a crazy or dementia dad because i i'm guessing there was dementia in the, the historically maybe it's not a new disease um, so that's that comes more and i just pray that I was in the industry at friends with Vicki Lewis Thompson when the nerd books came out and, and people know what the nerd books are. Okay. Well, so it was it, all the titles. There's six of them, seven of them, but I mean they're contemporary romances where the hero was a geek or a nerd. And this was, this was huge. And she had to fight for that first one to get released. She, and even when the sales were really good because they exploded, she still had to fight her editor. Her editor told her, look, I'm sorry, but it's not a romance unless, it, and she admitted it's not a romance for her. It's not a romance unless the male is more sexually experienced than the female. And, you know, that the male, I'm happy that we're getting more male virgins, but that is really entrenched in the romance industry still today
1: I think
3: oh, yeah. yeah, I mean if we we're talking about modern terms like the women like I li- I'm female agency and stuff like that I like the, the reverse I like being you know I'm like a you know alpha outside of the bedroom
4: <laughs> I actually when I first started writing romance I wrote a male virgin in the regency he was I can't remember why he was a virgin, but maybe he promised his mother um. It, it and I really. Liked I actually that think he did. It. I and think he did. He promised his mother. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I never published it. Oh, so you don't know. It oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> somebody else's book then. <laughs> <laughs> then he uh, promised his mother. I yeah, probably was. But uh, yeah, I, I wrote that a Dale version, and the woman was a courtesan, and they got to. It was. I love this story, and I've got to write it. But um, and I, 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 that was like my first book I ever submitted, and everyone's like, "No, you can't do that." You can't. I got, you got a lot of that one. Stroking bananas so that's why I kind of now, but, um, yeah and, and, and yes it has it has gotten gotten worn I think that's really cool because I'm all for women being
3: you know mm-hmm. I'm well I like all the lines <laughs> being kind of smudged right saying that it's not a romance because a guy isn't uh you know the leader in the romantic relationship is this like
4: Jamie and Outlander isn't, isn't he a virgin yes yes, yes. yes. yeah exactly you know As, that little book Outlander. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I know so it's really weird. It's like a lot of stuff I wanted to do. I, didn't, I hadn't read Outlander, but you know, I, I was like, I want to do this because that was like back before Outlander came out. So that's how long ago that was. But um, the things I wanted to do, people say you can't do that, you can't do that. And then Outlander came out, and she did all that. And then they were like, Oh wow, but, but that's her. You can't do that. And I was like, That's awesome. Well, she so, hadn't read romance before. She just no, submitted a, a historical what she time travel, so, weird thing. She, she said that she doesn't think it's romance. She says it's romance, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Jamie was younger, too. It was, yeah. And there's a lot of, the, they call it young, younger man, older woman. Ooh,
1: yeah. <laughs> 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 Any other questions? I guess it's not really a question
2: but a comment that I'm as a author who writes weird things, like it's really nice to hear from you guys talking about the struggles that you've had about having the mainstream publishing saying no thank you to you so many times because of trying to tell a different kind of story. So I I really appreciate hearing those. And and also hearing about the successes that you have found now in different avenues, writing, writing the things that are part of your heart.
4: The one thing I was shocked at as I was all these women with 40 50 80 a hundred books uh, I would go to them and go God but you're you know amazing and they said people think I don't get rejected and I had a long talk with Eileen Dreyer about how how many times she had to start over in her career and you know even Nora will talk about that and that you just <laughs> it's 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 a career of Heart and and really great joys and really devastated I also did the Alpha track on Monday and Tuesday Sabrina Jeffries talked about when I mean, she got dropped by her publisher and she had to get a day job because they weren't going to be able to keep the family going until she could find a new publisher
3: I had three traditional publishers that got rid of their YA imprints in 2014
4: Three,
3: right. oh, and I was like oh
4: I started in traditional regencies.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but keep
4: going. Keep writing yeah. stories. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's some of the some of the books that I'm like, okay, I'm writing this because it's fun and whatever. You get surprising results, and, yes. and even if that book doesn't take off, it helps you grow as an author. You grow as an artist. If you're not expanding yourself as an artist, you're growing stale. I always say that no writing is wasted. Even if you can't sell that book or you don't even finish that book, every book you write grows you. It teaches you something new. It teaches you how to you know, not make a mistake you made before. Every book advances you, so no writing is ever wasted. Thank God. <laughs> speak to like which mm-hmm. of your books taught you the most or, or something uh, or a book that was particularly meaningful to you in some way there have been books that i've written that are like really really hard mm-hmm. um and one of was not a historical it was a paranormal it's called the gathering and it was part of a multi-author series and i had to write the closing book it was an adventure series and you know, they all had to gang up against the bad guy, and I had to take everybody's characters, including mine, and put them all together and get them to the bad guy. That was really hard. That was one of the hardest books I ever wrote, but it taught me a lot. And now I look back and I go, "Why did I think that book was hard? I've written harder things." But um, yeah, I've had several that I've said, "If I can write this, I can write anything," and that it helps you grow your if you can finish something even if you know nobody else likes it it's still um you know everything kind of you.
3: i think i'm learning as far as every book that i write i kind of learn something like i have a book coming out in november <coughs> um with source Post. it's called um the duke in question and i remember i was doing a sensitivity read for it um i mean sensitivity reads are important because sometimes even if you're writing in your own sort of lane i mean, in your own representing your own culture or space um you might get something wrong and you know it's good to kind of address that before it gets into any steamroll territory but like um i had this scene where the characters and one is biracial one is white and they were dancing together with a bunch of other, a mixed, very mixed group of people. And uh, the view reader was like, well, why do you have them dancing in this part of the ship? You know, this is like the bottom of the ship. And I was thinking Titanic, right? I love that scene where they're downstairs and they're having the thing. But when you add people of color into that scene, it takes it, it adds a different nuance to it. So I had to think about it and I go, and then I read some of the books and one of the books I read was Eating the Other. And it's just about, um, you know, Black culture and uh, BIPOC culture and how they're seen by other people. So like I had to move it. And when I moved it, even when I was reading it back, I was like, oh, well, this reads a lot better because there's less, um, you, don't, you don't look down on it. It's not like a, a lower level. There's all these other things that come into play when you're writing about a marginalized group. Um, and even myself as a marginalized group, I mean, I was informed by that. So, I mean, we're all learning as we go, I think. I am anyway as writers, it's it's difficult, but you know you just do the work.
4: Over time, uh, there is never a book that 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 doesn't have a hard spot. There's uh, always every book. There's some place that you just want to die, um, and there are some books that the whole fucking thing. Are- <laughs> Just, oh God, kill me now. Yeah,
1: now she said the F word is coming out all uh, the time, yeah.
4: time.
1: She <laughs> broke yes. it. Uh, oh, no. We got like
4: five minutes. So I'm going to get
1: many F words out.
4: <laughs> the, the discipline of being able to fall back on technique and saying, okay, just, and, you know, it doesn't matter if it's your day, day life that is killing you or your sex life that's whatever, you know whatever is making this book hard get through it, whatever it takes, if you're bribing yourself with chocolate, if you're bribing your kids with chocolate, whatever, just, and they're, they end up being, I mean, sometimes the books are spectacularly beautiful because they were so hard, sometimes not so much, but the discipline and the strength of when, please just kill me now, and you still sit down and and I remember uh, the, the, there were books that I decided, okay, I'm going to really work on being funny and, and expanding my, my just really doing more comedy in my books. Get up, take care of the kids. They're teenagers. They're snotty-ass shits. Get them out of the house. Get your cup of coffee. Now be funny. Fuck you. Fuck <laughs> you. And I sat because of the deadline. I sat in my mother-in-law's living room trying to write a love scene going oh god kill <laughs> whatever you can do you can you can fix a bad page i hope you <laughs> can't get it done you can't fix a blank page you can't yes. fix a blank page you can fix a bad page uh, again i mean also a myth there have been times when no can't fix that anymore. that's when wine <laughs> <laughs> and line with the
2: h Anything <laughs> else? All right, cool. Well we're a couple minutes early, but thank you all for joining in some like third. Thank you for Buy our, book. yeah. 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 Find yeah. our books. Yeah, live their books <laughs> support.
3: Um, I'd like to caveat and say that I do love my son.